Thank you. We're going back to our series on what is what happens when Jesus returns. We've taken a couple weeks off of that. We had Karen's testimony a couple Sundays ago, and last Sunday I just felt instructed of the Lord to, to tell the stories that I did. That was a lot of fun. Hopefully you got something from the Lord last Sunday, but we're going back to this series of, of looking at what did Jesus say would happen when he returns? How will we, we be united with him? Several weeks ago, five or six weeks ago, we talked about the change that will happen in our bodies and, and, and who, what we get. And we talked about the judgment seat of Christ three or four weeks ago, standing before Jesus to give account for our life. And I told you then that the other thing that Jesus talked about on multiple occasions was this wedding reception that is going to happen called the marriage supper of the lamb so i want to talk about this feast this dinner that is going to happen uh, when we meet jesus so let's look at matthew 22 jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So those servants went out to the highways and gathered out together all who were found, both good and bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. So there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. And Jesus told a very similar parable in Luke. So Luke 14, same story, but he tells different details in this version of the parable. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and must go and see it, and I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. And still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported those things to his master, and then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maim and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done to you as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. So this parable that Jesus tells in two different ways, in Matthew and Luke, he compares the kingdom of heaven to a great banquet. And in Matthew 22, he said, there's a king who has arranged a marriage for his son. I wonder if we know who the king and his son might be. <laughs> All right, that's, 
God and the Son is Jesus. And this feast that the Father is hosting is a wedding feast for his Son. And we'll look at other scriptures that actually call Jesus' return in Revelation. It's called the wedding supper of the Lamb or the wedding reception of Jesus. You know that you've heard me reference it many, many times that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians about marriage being a picture of Christ in the church. The husbands and wife unity and relationship and lifetime covenant is an earthly picture of Jesus' commitment and covenant with us and that his oneness with us and his knowledge of us and his love commitment to us is the same as a husband and wife and that Jesus's return one of the things that will happen is this wedding this great feast this banquet this dinner so the father sends out his invitations to come to my feast that's the gospel that goes out into all the world, come into my house. Be my child, be saved, come into my kingdom. But it says that his servants were ignored, so he sent more. The servants are the prophets, the apostles, preachers, pastors. Every Christian person that's ever lived, really, is one. Tell those who are invited, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed. How many of you are looking forward to heavenly prime rib? Come on now. Some people are scared that you have to be a vegan in heaven. God says, I'm I'm butchering the cattle. God's got the cattle on a thousand hills, and apparently we're going to eat some of them. Thank you. Yes. If prime rib on earth is good, imagine prime rib cooked by angels. Come on. All right, so I'm being silly, but the father sends out his invitations to come to the wedding, but they made light of it and went their own ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And then the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. So these people who are rejecting the invitation to come to the feast, that's the people of the world who hear the gospel and refuse it. And in fact, And it divides them, Jesus here in this parable divides the people who refuse to come to God into two categories. Some of them just go on about their lives. And some of them seize his servants and kill them. That's every martyred missionary and apostle and every person who's been put to death by the political and religious system since Noah. When the king heard about it, he was furious, and he destroyed those murderers and burned their city. But he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, and my table will be full. Go out and bring in anybody who is available to come, both bad and good. The crowd in heaven, the people you might be sitting next to at God's table, might not be who you would expect. Just forewarned. Just be forewarned. The people that you are seated next to at God's table in his kingdom might not be who you would expect. So in this Luke version, it's that Jesus doesn't call it a wedding supper this time. He just says it's a great feast. And many were invited. 
And the servants go out and they invite people. And one of them says, Jesus says, they all begin with one accord to make excuses. The first says, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Another says, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go test their plowing skills. Please have me excused. Another one says, I've just married a wife and so I can't come. We could crack several jokes there, but we won't. So Jesus lists the excuses of these people in both of these parables, and I just want to point out that these are not sins. These people are not heinous sinners. They're just going about their normal, everyday life ignoring God's invitation to come to his house and be with him. Do you notice that? One guy says, I just bought a farm. It's not a sin to buy a farm. One guy says, I just bought a new car. I need to go test drive it. One guy says, I just got married. And none of those things are sins. But any good thing that keeps us from God will keep us from God. I said any good thing or more likely a list of good things that eats away our day and our month and our years until life is gone, any good thing that separates us from God separates us from God. So, Good people like to judge bad people, but Jesus points out here, it's people who are just living their normal, average, everyday good life that never make time to go serve God because, well, today it's I have to mow my lawn and tomorrow it's I have to go to hog wild days and the next day it's, well, I have to go hunting and the next day it's, well, I got to work to do and the next day it's, well, we're going camping. And the next day 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 and pretty soon your life is gone. And you didn't go out and be a bad person and you weren't sinning. But you just excused yourself from God with a bunch of good stuff. Selah. Jesus said, blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Where will we be satisfied? At God's table. When we feast on his righteousness. These things that these people are using as excuses to not actually give their time or money or whatever to serve the Lord, they're not sins. It's just what my friend calls the tyranny of the urgent. Well, I have to go do this. And then after that, it's, well, we have to do this. And then after that, it's, well, we have to do that. At some point, you have to say no to things that are good and okay to do, but I can't do all 18 of them. So... I don't judge other people for what they do that's good and okay, but I can't do that because I have to make time for God. 
I'm not talking about Mitch. I'm saying that has to be the attitude of all of our hearts, is that I have to say no to that. I can't go to that one more thing. I can't do that one more thing. Because I have to have space in my life for quiet, for peace, to pray, to read my Bible, even if it's just 15 minutes in the morning. That's more than a lot of you give him. There aren't bad things. It's just the tyranny of the urgent. And at some point, you have to realize, every one of us has to realize, I can't say you because i got to live this too. We have to realize we are responsible for our own schedule. We are responsible for our own priorities. And we cannot excuse ourselves before God and we cannot blame anyone else. If it means get up earlier, then we get up earlier. If it means say no to those other three things, that would be good to do. And maybe very hard to tell somebody no. Are you really going to tell God no? Instead of the lady that wants help with the club fundraiser? I don't want to tell God no. Beware the tyranny of the urgent. Or just living life, none of those things that Jesus listed are sins. But the people were satisfied with this life and they didn't feel a need to go to God's feast because they were already full and fat. Come on. They didn't feel a need to go to God's feast because they weren't hungry for anything. They had what they wanted. When Jesus spoke this to people, we in our American prosperity cannot imagine really how attractive this parable actually is. Most of world history and even a large portion of the world still today, a feast is a huge deal. Because most of the world throughout history and a lot, large portion of the world now, they actually have to work to eat. We have to work to not get fat. Seriously. Who in the world besides Americans goes on diets? Well, we have such an excess of money and free time and food and stuff that we're very, very satisfied. Hello. Throughout most of history, we work to eat. And people grow what they grow and they eat a little bit out of it every day and they eat to survive. And they eat pretty much the same thing every day and it's not nearly as tasty or great a variety as the stuff that we have. And we are so rich and have so much free time, and I'm not just talking about food, just the stuff that we buy and the opportunities we have to do anything and everything under the sun. 
The freedom and the choice and the prosperity that we have is from God, and it is the fruit of our ancestors' righteousness. But it's killing us, physically and spiritually, if we don't watch it. Because Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Instead of the next thing I'm going to buy or the next thing I'm going to go do, they're dreaming about serving the Lord. So in most of the world's cultures and in all of human history, a feast was a huge deal because it was a day when we could actually eat until we're full. I doubt if very many people in the room have ever actually even been really, truly hungry. Probably some of us. But probably not very many. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, you think that you're rich, but you're actually very poor. Because they were from a city that was very wealthy in earthly wealth. But Jesus said in spiritual wealth, you're actually very poor. Be careful that our possessions and our free time and our money and even food doesn't satisfy us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. These people wouldn't come to God's feast because they were already satisfied. They had what they thought they wanted. Earthly possessions or marriage or whatever. One of the main points of Jesus' story here is don't live for stuff of this life. Don't let your life be dictated by things here. Make sure that when God gives you the invitation that you answer, that we come because we're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Revelation 19 says this, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. In Revelation 19, you read this book several months ago, I hope. You're supposed to. Uh, Revelation 19 is the chapter where Jesus actually returns. So all of the previous things in Revelation happened before the return of Jesus. Revelation 19, this is the very last thing that is proclaimed from heaven before Jesus returns with, on his horse with his sword and his trumpet. As the angel shouts out, the bride is ready. The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to happen. So this is why I say that, that whatever marriage between the church and Jesus means, whatever that means, Paul said it's a great mystery, and I'm actually not even going to focus on that today, but whatever that means, that's when it takes place, is immediately when Jesus returns. He compared it to a feast given by his Father, but here it's the wedding feast of the Lamb, and the angel says, blessed are those who are called to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The word blessed is very happy. 
very, very happy are those who are going to be at Jesus' wedding reception when he marries his bride. Matthew 25, Jesus talked about this also. Tells a parable about himself and his own wedding. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took out their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all grew sleepy and slept. At midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So speaking of himself there again, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like these ten ladies waiting for the groom to come to the wedding. And I explained this several weeks ago, but in that culture in those days, a man would go to his, the girl's dad and he would arrange the dowry. Essentially, he would buy her for whatever, cows or sheep or camels, and they would arrange on their price. And then he would go home and he would prepare a home for them to live in. And the average family, what that meant was that he would build a room on mom and dad's house for he and his bride to live in. And then when the house got done, he would come to get her. So there wasn't necessarily a scheduled wedding ahead of time on a date with invitations and all the prep that goes into weddings in America these days. The, bride, the groom would just come and get his bride and the wedding would happen. Usually, the wedding was at the groom's home. We do it the opposite of that. It's at the bride's hometown and home church or whatever, however that happens. But the groom's family would have been ready for the wedding, and he would come and get her. So this is why the ten ladies don't know when the wedding is, and they're watching and waiting. And it says, while the groom was delayed, they got sleepy and fell asleep. He's talking about us right now. This is the time in which we're waiting for the groom to return, to come, and he's warning us not to get sleepy and to tune out, but to keep watching. And he says, watch, therefore. Other passages, watch and pray, for you do not know the day or the hour when I will come for my bride. Be ready. So he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. Heaven is getting ready for the wedding. When he is ready, when heaven is ready, Jesus will return for his bride, for us. And Jesus is warning, don't tune out. Don't start living for the things of this earth and this life and fall asleep spiritually. Don't fall asleep. And then in Luke 12, he has a different parable with a similar message. Again, comparing his return to a dinner. 
Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master, and he will return from the wedding, and when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So in both of these parables, Jesus, again, compares it to a wedding. And his main message in both of these is don't lose track of what really matters. Don't tune out. Don't fall asleep. Even if I'm gone a long time. Keep your faith fire burning. And he says in this one, something absolutely amazing. He says, when I come back, those of you that I find watching for me, meaning living for me, serving me, taking care of my work that needs done while I'm gone, I will put an apron on and serve you, which is as backward as it can get that the master would serve his servants. But he said, when, we, when I return and I find you doing my work while I was gone, I will serve you. That's amazing. That is mind-blowing humility, graciousness, generosity. Jesus put himself in that situation He said, if you're watching for me, you're doing my work while I'm gone, you're taking care of my house and my business, I have something really big for you. I will put my apron on and I will have you sit down and I will feed you. All of these five parables or these five passages refer to the return of Jesus. There is this dinner, there's this feast, that banquet that God wants to hold. You have an invitation. If you have not answered that invitation, I'm here to tell you this morning, you're invited. You are invited to come to God's house and sit at his table and feast on his salvation and his goodness. I don't know exactly what all that looks like, but I know that God's heart is primarily a father and he wants children in his house at his table feasting on his goodness. And by, for now, in this life, that is by faith. But by faith, we know it is a reality, and it is going to come to pass. It is real, and it will happen. There is a heaven. Jesus is alive, and he is returning, and we are waiting for him. And when he returns, great things will happen. One of those things is that God our Father will bring us into his house and seat us at his table and feed us. I, as we sang, you're more than we can even imagine. <laughs> How do we even imagine that? I don't know. But it will be very, very good. And those of you who hunger and thirst after righteousness, you can feel it in your heart right now. I can't wait to be there 
and to feast on his goodness. The warning is, right out of Jesus' mouth is, do not let things of this world become excuses to keep you from the things of the kingdom of God. Don't fall asleep and tune out and just go through life without purpose, without intentionally waiting on Jesus and serving him. Because the day is coming and it is very close. Amen. Amen. Amen.